Welcome, everyone, to a Baseball America podcast. Along with Matt Eddy, I am John Manuel. Thanks so much for the download, whether it's on BaseballAmerica.com or on iTunes. We want to remind you that Baseball America is brought to you by MLB Network. We also want to remind you you can try four issues of Baseball America for just four bucks. Baseball America is the must-read for baseball fans from high school to the, ba- to the big leagues. So visit BaseballAmerica.com backslash MLB Network for our special MLB Network offer. And Matt and I were just discussing before we started that MLB Network is probably the coolest television network ever invented. So Yeah, definitely. 24 hours a day. Just keep it tuned. Yeah, I watch a lot more Hazel May than I thought I would. And I watch a lot more fill-in-the-blank on MLB Network than I thought I would. I thought I'd watch it from time to time, but it's really just pretty much my TV is set at channel 213 on DirecTV, and that's pretty much it. Who are your favorite commentators on their nightly uh, look-in show? I have always been a fan of Harold Reynolds. Uh, I think he's like a 75 on the 2080 affability scale. Oh, yeah. And he's just friendly. He's enthusiastic about baseball. He does know the game. He doesn't know too much, but, you know, that's not what he's there for. Uh, I also, uh, I think Dan Plesak's goofy. And uh, uh, the biggest, to me, the most pleasant surprise is Matt Williams. That guy, he's awesome. Mitch Williams, yeah. Mitch Williams, I'm sorry. Mitch Williams. I, I love having Mitch Williams on there. Those are my two favorites as well, Plesak and Williams. I mean, Plesak is goofy. I like that he puts on the panda hat for, uh, you know, Kung Fu Panda and all that kind of stuff. But um, I, there's not a, no one there's unwatchable for me. You know, I, I like Al Leiter. Yeah. I've always thought Al Leiter would be good. It's at all it. about the lefties. I like Sean Casey. I think the mayor's fine. He's almost a little... He, He's kind of like the affability of Harold Reynolds, but he has more to offer as well. And, like, I, I think he said this on the air, and I read it somewhere else, but he talked about uh, pulled obliques. And he said, you know, first of all, he joked about his own body. But second of all, he talked about, you know, there weren't, when, I, when you first got into pro ball, there wasn't a lot of core training. People didn't work on their core. Those muscles just weren't worked very much. And now they are, and those muscles are fine-tuned machines, and now they get pulled. Keith Hernandez says that same thing on Mets broadcasts, by really? the way. He does. See, I don't watch the Mets. Well. I, but you're torturing yourself as a Mets fan. And, but you do. being a Mets fan did lead you to purchasing that very handsome Buffalo Bison t-shirt that we all like. <laughs> so it's a, it's a good t-shirt. So it's a good Buffalo Bison logo. The, the upgrade is, is huge over the old green sliding buffalo. I, that, that is, uh, I mean, they didn't even change the name. They just tweaked the logo. And it's just a, it's a very good update. It is. There are no Buffalo Bisons, however, who made the list for our final ten prospects uh, who are up for our minor league player of the year award. And that's what we're here to talk about today on this episode of the Baseball America podcast. If you want to interact with us, you can go to our Facebook page, facebook.com backslash Baseball America. Or you can, of course, follow us on Twitter at Baseball America. Um, or you can email us at podcast at baseballamerica.com. But, Matt, uh, you know, we've had emails all year, chats all year with the Prospect Hachi that you've been involved with a lot more than I have. Um, and, and it all is going to end up leading to our minor league player of the year. Now we have two weeks left. And I would say that in the meetings we've already had about this, one of the more open and one of the more wide open races we've ever had for minor league player of the year. And it's kind of the opposite of last year. Where we almost defaulted to Jason Hayward because he had a great year, especially with those ratios, even though he really didn't even have 400 plate appearances. This year we have lots of players who have minor league player of the year worthy seasons. And it's scary to think of what Mike Stanton could have done oh, yeah. had he remained in the Southern League all year. I didn't even think about I mean, Mike Stanton. He, he could have 35 home runs right now. He could have 40 home <laughs> runs right now. And you consider that, uh, I mean, in the major league level, Jose Batista has 40. If Mike Stanton had gone on a run in the minor leagues and has been like left alone, 
Uh, I, I, he either would have gotten to 40 home runs or he would have gotten to 150 walks. Because <laughs> why would you ever pitch to that guy at the minor league level? But, and, you know, obviously he's kind of been in fits and starts at the big league level. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to talk hitters first or you want to talk pitchers first? Uh, let's go with the hitters. Okay. I think there's more definition there. I think so, too. And we actually had a lot of good hitting candidates this year. I wanted to start off with a couple of guys. There's like a group of two or three or four guys who had, and just in terms of monster seasons, had as big of a season as anyone has had in the minor leagues. And they've moved through several levels. And the guys who leap to mind for me on that are, are Brandon Belt and the Giants organization, Jerry Sands and the Dodgers organization, and Devin Mazzarocco with the Reds. And uh, Belt and Mazzarocco very similar in that, they both have gone to three levels. They've both just gone to AAA in the last week. We're recording this uh, late August. Uh, the day after, actually, Bell made his AAA debut by, of course, going one for three. The hit was a home run. It was his 20th homer of the year, and he walked twice. Um, for me, Matt, I, I, I think Brandon Belt's had the best year of anyone in the minor leagues. I mean, just he's not – the question of whether he wins our minor league player of the year award is, he, is do we think he's prospecting enough. But his season – feels almost kind of like what Jeremy Reed did uh, that one year in the White Sox organization, uh, I guess it was 2003 maybe, 2004, where yeah. he just had a monster season and he wasn't our minor league player of the year because we just didn't think he was enough of a prospect and it turned out we were right. Yeah, and that's the trouble I had with Belt's candidacy is just the, the shorter track record. He was a, a fifth round pick, right? Right, yeah. I think Out of a, a big time program from Texas. Correct. So, you know, he, he, he does have uh, somewhat of a resume, but he completely revamped his uh, hitting approach and swing this year to go more wood bat swing. So, uh, you know, there's no reason to doubt him. But still, I, when I pick a minor league player of the year, I like somebody who's done it in the minors and as an amateur. I really want a little bit more of a pedigree, basically. Mm-hmm. I think I, that's a fair way to put it. That said, his season, um, the amazing thing about it is that he seems like he's controlled the strike zone more and hit for more power at upper levels. I guess part of that is, and we both watch a lot of AAA games being here in Durham, one thing you do see is guys are around the plate more at the upper levels. Do, uh, do you put a lot of credence maybe into that theory that there are some hitters who hit for more power at a higher level because they hit pitchers are around the plate more when they miss they miss in the zone as opposed to out of the zone? That's interesting. I hadn't thought of that in, in Belt's case, but I, I can see what you mean. Because yeah, he uh, another the other kind of I guess problem with his candidacy is doing a lot of it in the Cal League. Mm-hmm. Is that a, a big part of it for you as far as just piling up those kind of numbers in a Offense first league. I think so. Uh, you can see every, every year John Gaston, yeah, Carlos good. Carlos Piguero. They were huge in the Cal League last year. Good points. And you know, uh, Piguero has retained some of that value in, in going to the Southern League, but it's not 31 home runs. And for every guy, who put, they're, they're, they're more cases that are like John Gaston or like fill in the blank of any Cal League guy who piles up really big numbers in that league and then goes on. Brandon Wood. Let's throw Brandon Wood in that as the definitive case of that right now. A guy who in 2005, uh, very nearly picked him as our minor league player of the year in 2005. And he had a season for the ages that year. And now he has a 7 OPS plus for the Angels. It's unbelievable how the year we did risk factors in our top 100, Mm -hmm. Brandon Wood's risk factor, our comp was Chad Hermanson. And that's who he has turned into. He has you know, turned he's like a modern-day Mike Hessman, perhaps. I mean, Hessman had this period before he became a triple-A vet yeah. where he wasn't very good. No. But, but then he got better, and he always worked hard on his defense. Now he's the definition of a of like a 4A kind of guy. Yeah, oh, no doubt. And uh, Brandon Wood's career, shockingly, 
seems like it's on the the road to that. Uh, and he was a first round pick, mm-hmm. so he had a little bit more pedigree. The thing is that Dalman Young had a monster year at Double A. I think Brandon Wood really was held back the most that year from winning Player of the Year by being in the Cal League. Okay. And I think that I think that's hold I think that's held up Brandon Belt a little bit. Similarly, Jerry Sands also had a big year, not as big as 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 uh, Belt, but pretty big year. Um, first half of the year, he helped the Great Lakes Loons have the to this great start. They have the best record in the minor leagues right now. Um, but then Jerry Sands has carried his uh, success, at least his power success, over to Double A, uh, making uh, jumping over a level. He's more age appropriate for the Double A, uh, the Southern League. And then kind of out of nowhere, in a way, Devin Mesoraco, who's a first-round pick and has a little more pedigree, but was number 30 on the Reds' top prospect list coming into the year, was kind of almost written off. I mean, I don't know what we wrote, wrote him off what, but we'd written him off. Um, well, either of those guys, were either of those guys uh, serious candidates for you, or are they more on the periphery? Uh, you know, considering position, I, I think Mezzarocco did have a case if, if he's really is a plus defensive catcher, you know, because the, the power has been incredible. I think he has a, a cumulative 600 slugging, if I'm not mistaken. No, I think you're right. So, and now that he's 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 up with Louisville for their run at the at the Governor's Cup in the International League. That's a whole other tangent we'll get to later. <laughs> but he was, yeah, he was at 622 with the slugging the last time that we... Uh, at the time of the, we had the spreadsheet, we were considering, okay, we're having the definitive meeting. Here's where Devin Mesrocco is right now. And the first time we talked about these guys, Devin Mesrocco wasn't even on our radar screen that high. I mean, I, we we knew he was having a big year, and J.J. Cooper was going to remind us, even if we didn't know, J.J. Uh, loves those Reds prospects. I mean, 600 slugging in these leagues, I mean, that's Matt Wieters. Like, it is. doesn't have the feel for hitting that Wieters did in the minors, but... It is a Matt Weeders last season. I haven't even thought about that. Um, I guess the difference, it was probably the same age, the difference is with Weeders. And I know it also spoke highly of the year that we had Alice Gordon as our minor league player of the year. Those guys put up 1,000 OPS seasons, and it was their first year as professionals. Okay. Whereas Mesorock has been in the minors a little bit. But um, it clearly took him some time. He had some health issues the last couple of years. He's never quite been healthy. And I think it told you a little bit about what the Reds thought of Devin Mesorock when they drafted Yasmani Grandal. Hmm. In the first round this year, they drafted a catcher. And whether it was a pre-draft deal or not, they agreed to terms with him. We heard three to $3.2 million early, early, early on in June. And now they wind up signing him to a contract worth about that in total amount in mid-August in a major league deal. They had to send Mike Owings off their 40-man roster to make room for Grandal. And they did that despite the fact, despite the presence of Mesoraco. For me, that casts doubt on Mesoraco's prospect status. Well, but on the flip side, you had the Vado yonder Alonso debacle from two years ago. Not debacle, but, but head-scratching move. It was a head-scratcher. It was a head-scratcher at the time. It's still a head-scratcher. And then they kind of repeated themselves also with a former teammate of Alonzo's yeah. and Grandal, who was the catcher as a freshman on that 2008 Miami team. And then we also sort of discussed JPR and Cebia. I think uh, almost just like R and Cebia, I think we had that meeting maybe like the day or two days after he had a home run in his first big league at bat. Yep. And that's also that's part of this discussion too, Matt. That's also a little bit of a bridge to – these are more some of the, I wouldn't say fringe prospects. These are guys who we discussed, but when we actually voted on our minor league player of the year, despite his big year, Brandon Belt didn't get as much support as I kind of thought he would, to be honest with you. But I think that the reason for that is that his season is the best year of the minors because of bigger prospect pedigrees had pretty similar seasons. And a guy like that would be Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakas. Let's actually just talk about the Royals as a group. <laughs> Eric Hosmer, Mike Moustakas, Will Myers, all three of those guys, 
monster seasons. I think if we're talking about which one we like better as a prospect, that's a really tough call. I think if the consensus of the office right now might be Will Myers. Are you, are you, are you with me on that? It's he, he or Hosmer. I, I, I go back and forth. That's a tough call because Hosmer has – I mean, the other, the other thing that complicates all this are the park extremes <laughs> in the Royal system. I don't think we can get away from talking about their seasons without talking about the ballparks they play in. I didn't realize Burlington was one of the more – was a pitcher's park, but the Midwest League is a league that, that, that just uh, pushes down offense. It, it's, a, it's not an offensive league. If you have a 700 – if you have a 725 or 730 OPS in that league, you're doing pretty well. Then you're talking about Wilmington, which is the Carolina League is a pitcher's league, A, because of the parks, B, some of the weather, especially early, some of the northern, uh, with, with Wilmington especially, that's the northernmost ballpark in that league. You're going to get some colder air early in the year. And then C, it's an eight-team league, and teams in that league scout the heck out of each other. So it's hard to sustain uh, performance over the course of a full season in that league. And then you had Northwest Arkansas and Omaha, which are, Offensive ballpark, especially Northwest Arkansas, Matt. Talk a little bit about that park and just what what's going on there. I believe when we looked at the numbers maybe a month ago, uh, Northwest Arkansas batters were enjoying something like a 200-point OPS advantage at home. Was, now, in the past, it was pronounced, but nothing like this. It was 40 points. Right. That's, know, pr- that's a big deal. That's 40 a big deal. points is, is significant. But th- this was 150-plus. This was 200 sounds a little high, but it was it was... Substantial, and this and this is the environment that Mike Mustakis spent the first half playing in, and now he's the youngest player in AAA and right. the PCL rather. But th- this is where he built up the 25 home runs he has. Or his OPS, I think, what would we look? It was almost six. You could basically fit a small middle infielder into the difference between his home and road splits. <laughs> I think you could, you could fit an Asturias brother into his uh, into his, the difference between his home. And he had like a 13-something OPS on the road. At home. I mean, at home and like 700 on the road yeah. in the Texas League. It was very, it was reminiscent of his Wilmington numbers. His road production this right. year was like his, what he did last year for the Blue Rocks. You're right. And so, I, not that, so we're not trying to discount Mike Moustakis, and obviously he gets extra points for me being Greek. But <laughs> I, I think he was third out of our three Royals. It seemed like, just based on what they did this year, I think we have such a hard time factoring in the fact that Northwest Arkansas is so offensive and that Hosmer hit more home runs in a short time <laughs> at Northwest Arkansas than he hit in the longer duration at Wilmington that Meyer seemed to be the choice from those three if we had to pick one a Royals hitter. I know. Early on, I I was leaning toward Hosmer as, as the top guy overall yeah. just because he's such a well-rounded Prospect, even as a first baseman, he runs, he defends, right? You know, hits he for throws. average, he walks. He can throw if you ever need him to throw. Hits for power, and you know maybe maybe there's kind of echoes of uh, Joey Votto there. You know, as an all-around first baseman. Great, that's a great for me. Big, that's a great comparison. big lefty bat. Certainly a bigger, more hype. This is a first-round pick, six million plus dollar signing bonus. Whereas Votto was, I think, a second rounder, mm-hmm. third rounder, something like that. Yeah. Right, but I mean, uh, but Eric Hosmer, I mean, the guy's barely twenty. You know, he'll be twenty-one, I guess, in October. Playing the whole year at age 20, uh, but I, like you, like I said, I I had a hard time when I was considering him. That so looking at him right now, 11 home runs in 40 games at Double after seven home runs in 87 games at Triple A. I mean at High A. How much of that's the ballpark, and how much of it's not? He didn't have the quite the road splits, the home and road splits that that Mustakas had. But his season was very similar to Will Myers' season. Will Myers is doing it. Maybe he won't in the future be a catcher. So that's the thing, like. I think Meyer's season is a little bit more impressive. 
as far as who's a better prospect, Hosmer does bat left-handed. And even though it's first base, he is going to probably stay in the infield, whereas Myers it sounds like he's going to be a catcher, Matt. And that, so for me, I think Myers – I think there's actually a split. I think Myers had the better season. I think I still like Hosmer a smidge better as a prospect. I think I do too. Um, I love Will Myers, though. <laughs> Pioneer League uh, vet here. That's right. Pioneer League. <laughs> anybody – he played in both uh, the he Appy played, League and the Pioneer he League. He did, right? yeah. He was the John Lamb uh, career path. And that that's another yet another royal that we consider was John Lamb. Yeah. And the first time we had this meeting, John Lamb had just gotten promoted to double A and his numbers at that time were the best numbers of any pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, and really in the whole minor leagues. Now he has stumbled going to double A and made our choice easier. By the time the first meeting we had, it was pretty hard to deny his season as a pitcher was just about as good as Brandon Belt was as a hitter. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little bit better. And they're both fifth-round picks. Lamb two years ago out of high school, uh, belt this year, uh, last year out of college. Was John Lamb a guy like before his Double A swoon? Did you was he how high was was he on your list for for this award? Uh, I did consider him. Uh, let's see. It was tough because you have him, but there was there wasn't enough to distinguish him from other pitchers. I agree. Uh, who had similar ERAs, similar. Peripheral rates. Matt and I are a little biased toward uh, pitchers doing it outside of A-ball. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think that's fair to say. It is. And honestly, I think our whole award is biased to people doing it out of A-ball. And, uh, you know, we've only had one – I forget even who the there – I think maybe there's been one winner who's played in A-ball since Andrew Jones. Who's been, you know, in uh, pretty much – Hayward might have been in Myrtle, Myrtle for a little bit in that last that's, year. I think that's it. I think he might be the guy. And there's no one, who, basically, who's won minor league player of the year since Andrew Jones who spent any appreciable time in low class A, which brings us to Mike Trout. Um, Mike Trout, Dominic Brown, these two guys were our top prospects at our midseason prospect update, Matt. Dominic Brown's probably not going to exhaust his prospect eligibility with the Phillies this year now that he's a backup. But before he got called up – 327, 391, 589 with 20 home runs and 17 stolen bases at AA and AAA. And then Mike Trout, probably as far as uh, we haven't seen a season like that in the Midwest League really in a long time. Um, for a guy to go up there, a teenager, an 18-year-old, didn't turn 19 until September, I guess, or mm-hmm. later this month, maybe right around now actually. And Mike Trout was hitting like 330, 340 with a – he was among the minor league leaders in on-base percentage. He was slugging over 500. And among the minor league leaders in stolen bases, but it seems like the promotions hurt both those guys in terms of their minor league player of the year case. Mm-hmm. Did did one help more? Like, I guess with Trout, I mean, what would he have had to do to win the minor league player of the year award for you? Would he have had to go to the Cal League and tear it up like he had done in the Midwest League? I think so. Yeah, I mean, you run into the whole uh, Cal League quagmire again, where yeah, you know, the numbers tend to be inflated, but that doesn't seem to be the case with with Trout. But the interesting thing is, if if you were to just take this list of players and, and select who you wanted long term, Mike Trout would be at or near the top of that list. I think he might be at the top of that list for me. You know, you're talking uh, like a potential five-tool center fielder. Yeah. So this I mean, is not to knock Mike Trout. Yeah, there's the, there, there's really no knock on Mike Trout. But you you really have to pick at nits with him. And it's a 762 OPS in the Cal League. Yeah, you know you'd like to see more from that. Because certainly we've seen some of the numbers we've seen people put up at Rancho. You'd kind of like to have seen him do better there, especially because 
the, the one thing for me that made me, and I, I know I'm kind of giving away here that we didn't pick Mike Trout, but uh, so we didn't pick Mike Trout. Um, but the one thing that got me with with it is that, yeah, he's going to the Cal League and is an advanced. It's, it's advanced A, so there are more advanced pitchers. But usually in A ball, one of the issues for a hitter is lack of physical maturity. Maybe they're not strong enough. It's their first year with a wood bat. They're not necessarily strong enough. That's not the issue with Mike Trout. Physicality is not an issue. He has, there's no projection left with him in terms of physicality. So with me personally, when I was considering him in the Cal League, I thought to myself, you know, this guy, it's more going to be a pitch recognition that he's a little bit raw. He's from New Jersey. That is more the issue, and there's nothing wrong with that. A kid who's one year out of high school baseball in New Jersey should, A, be probably getting a little tired at the end of a year, a first full year in pro ball, and B, seeing better pitching, pitching than he has, and there's probably going to be a, a pitch recognition issue. I, I, those are very acceptable from a prospect ranking standpoint. But I did think he maybe drive the ball a little bit more consistently there and not slug under 400. He's right around 400 right now. I, I thought that he would at least show a little bit more power in the Cal League because A is the Cal League and B because he's physical. So for me, I would have forgiven a lower batting average and even a, a lower contact rate and accepted that trade-off for some power. For me, that's what I wanted to see him do in the Cal League. When he wasn't hitting for power in the Cal League, that hurt his candidacy for me. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, well, you know, after he signed last year, he hit one home run in the Arizona League, and, and to me, that, that six that you see there in the Midwest League was impressive. No, you're right. You know, but I, th- I think you do have a good point. And so when we're talking about minor league player of the year. And whereas Dominic Brown, and then you could also relate this to Jeremy Hellickson a little bit, Matt, we've had this a couple times um, where you're talking about minor league player of the year, and they get promoted to the major leagues, and it's a minor league player of the year award, but how much – does what they do in the major leagues, or how much should it factor in? I mean, it's kind of like an MVP vote. It's it's sort of nebulous. Uh, but for me, um, I think that you can hurt yourself with what you do in the big leagues after promotion more than you can help yourself. Uh, how did you view it for, for Brown and for Hellickson? Yeah, those two offer uh, uh, distinctly different cases, where Brown yep. has gone into a part-time role. And he hasn't thrived. He's done okay, considering right. his, his age and experience. Whereas Hellickson has gone 3-0 and for the Rays, has given up something like three runs total and yeah. three starts. All, th- and all four starts that he made were uh, were quality starts. You know? you know, and you put, let's say, you would add those numbers to his Durham totals, and he would still lead the International League in ERA and strikeouts and everything. Oh, yeah. Now, he was, and and, and we got to see a lot of him here, mm-hmm. no doubt. But for two um, years. For two years. We did get to see Dominic Brown come through. Uh, that was really fun uh First weekend he got called up, they were at Durham, and one of the games was on MLB Network and got mm-hmm. a chance to do that. And I know a lot of us watched it here in the in the office, and I got to actually do the game, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Brown's got 47 at-bats. Neither of these guys has gotten an extended opportunity, really, at the big league level. I mean, you know, if even Hellickson going to the big leagues and tearing it up, I, I don't know that it really surprised any of us, really. I mean, that's that's his whole shtick really is polish. He was kind of ready for that. Mm-hmm. Dominic Brown's shtick is that this year he came into his power, A, which had been prophesied for him, and B, uh, he's still raw. I mean, they really are very contrasting players. Obviously, Dominic Brown could post up Jeremy Hellickson. Uh, what is he, <laughs> six, six inches taller? Um, for me, if Brown hadn't gotten called up, he was the leader for me. I think he was my minor league player of the year. And then he got called up. So if he doesn't win minor league player of the year, he can blame it on Raul Abanez getting hurt and on Ruben Amaro calling him up. Because um, for me, he was the leader at that time. And uh, But at the same time, 
when he was still in the minor leagues, Mike Trout was still in low class A. So like really about a month ago, my leaders were Mike Trout and Dominic Brown. Uh, but that's why we don't give our minor league player of the year award in July. It's the Baseball America podcast with John and Matt. We want to remind you that uh, we have our 2011 books coming up here in the fall as the minor league season is coming to a close. And the ultimate 2011 Baseball America reference books are ready for pre-order. You reserve your books now, and we'll ship them first as soon as they come hot off the press. If you go to BaseballAmerica.com backslash store, you can choose among the new 2011 publications, including the Prospect Handbook, the 2011 Almanac, the Directory, Super Register, uh, which is the Mad Eddie Baby, and the 2011 Great Parks Calendar. So you get the advantage of your fantasy league and be the first to get your books. Visit BaseballAmerica.com backslash store. Um, Matt, we had a couple other pitching candidates, and uh, some were expected. I think coming into the year, if you had told us that Julio Tehran was on the short list of minor league player of the year award winners, I think we would have believed you. You know, we would have said, yeah, that makes sense. If we said Brandon Beachy is going to be in your mix for minor league player of the year award, we would have said who? Um, but Michael Pineda maybe would have been a little bit of – he would have been a surprise. Mm-hmm. Chris Archer would have been a surprise. Um, but all these guys are on our radar. Um, Pineda and Beachy, I think, are two of your favorite prospects. I mean, you did the Mariners last year. You've done it for a couple of years. I mean, I think you're, the thing is is that your scouting report on Michael Pineda is what scouts have told us Michael Pineda does this year, only he does them harder. Yes. Um, <laughs> but what's, what's the, tell a little bit of the backstory of Michael Pineda and what made him a candidate this year for minor league player of the year. That's funny. Just last off season, in looking at his listed height and weight, it was something like six five, one eighty. Yeah. But, but you look at him, and it's a complete disconnect because he's up near two twenty, two thirty now. Oh, yeah, he's, no. he's he's a beast. He's a physical. And he has added specimen. he's added uh, accordingly maybe four miles an hour to his peak velocity. So you're looking at that, and uh, in, in his in his breaking ball and in, in his changeup, his cutter. You know, they're not. They're not as dominating as his fastball, right? But he but he commands that fastball so well that those other pitches play way up. And if you look at his, uh, he's striking out 11 batters per nine in AAA at age that's, 21. That's amazing. And like, age 21 and a guy who missed yeah. a lot of the 2009 season with uh, what was his injury? I forget. What it was it? elbow tenderness, is what the Mariners called it. And he tried and a little he, tenderness and didn't work out for him. He came, he came back and pitched very well at the Cal League playoffs, taking right. high desert to the. Cusp of the championship. That's right, and that's when you're pitching in high desert. Yeah, you're getting something done. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's the most impressive thing for Pineda. A that uh, he'd been at advanced levels. He dominated Double A, uh, the Southern League. Pitched pretty well. It's the PCL, very challenging environment. Even though Tacoma's not necessarily as offensive as uh, other PCL cl- uh, climbs, but just that strikeout rate and the strikeout to walk rate, mm-hmm. um, very effective. Uh, Julio Tehran kind of a similar pitcher, not as physical, obviously, but similarly electric arm, velocity, probably the most exciting pitcher to watch at the Futures game, just from a sheer, okay, we know this guy throws the hell out of it. I can't wait to watch this guy. Um, and he was a little rough around the edges in the Futures game. Um, but I seem like Tehran, along with Hellickson, and then Archer, is again kind of like a Brandon Belt type of candidate. Again, a fifth-round pick, I'm pretty sure. Well, there's that word again. You know, Who the, the is this? Round. Chris Archer. Chris Archer, yeah. Pretty sure it was a fifth-round pick out of high school. He has had really about as good of a year. Now that John Lamb is coming back to the pack, you know, Chris Archer, the, the one bugaboo with him is, unlike these other pitchers we talked about, his walk rate is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Is that kind of what disqualified him? Not disqualified him, but he's further down the list. But his velocity is accordingly higher. 
than, it is. than everybody but to Heron. So Yeah, no, you're right. Oh, oh, yeah, he, he's throwing consistently in the mid to upper 90s. And, and Pineda, I should say. But right. And, and a breaking ball, too, though, for Archer, which mm-hmm. I just regret the fact that he's from Clayton, North Carolina, yeah. and never went to go see him in high school, which <laughs> is uh, lame. But it's his fault for being a prospect at the same time that my son was born. He was in 07 draft, right? I think it was, it was either. I guess it was 07. So, well, he's, he wasn't. He didn't stand off in the pack in either of the three previous years. He no, was, he, he was very ordinary until this year. He was year. traded. Uh, what do, I don't forget what that trade he was. was Mark DeRosa. No, that's it. No, that, you're right. No, yeah, Mark DeRosa. I think it was the Mark DeRosa trade, yeah. and the way which yeah, it was kind of like an afterthought kind of prospect. But the, you know, the Cubs are one organization uh, that have had a good year on the farm, yes. and the Yankees have had a really good year in the minor leagues. The Pitching Chili's definitely. have had a good year in the minor leagues. Yep. Um, the A's. Mm, not so much. Not. <laughs> not so much. The Braves have had a good year in the minor leagues, which brings us kind of to Tehran again. Uh, were there any other pitchers that you considered, Matt? Uh, or are those pretty much the? I mean, we and we mentioned Beachy. Um, I think Beachy like relieved too much, but if you had a minor league breakout prospect of the year, but it's almost like it'd be between him and Belt. Yeah, you know, aside from Pineda, he is my non-drafted free agent minor league player of the year. There you go. He's the domestic non-NDFA prospect of the year. I love that. That now, if you actually did that, no, that's a blog post. It's a blog post. That's a show right there, I think. The, <laughs> the Ryan Hannigan Award, or the Heath Bell Award. I like the Heath Bell Award. Ryan Hannigan would be if JJ came up with that one, but I'm looking forward to just seeing Beachy uh, come through here with Gwinnett at the end of the year. Yes. But uh, this guy's got again a five to one strikeout to walk ratio. As a starter now. At, at doing it as a starter. It's, uh, yeah, it's uh, seven to one as a starter in AAA. More strikeout, you know, nine point three six strikeouts per nine in AAA. And this is what a second full pro season, or is this uh-huh. his first full pro season? Uh, second full. You're right. I mean, this is he pitched for Danville in a way. This is just a legit guy. This guy just a uh, completely tremendous job of scouting and player development for the Braves, a non-drafted free agent out of an NAIA school, uh-huh. and uh, two years later he's in AAA. I mean, he's one of their best pitching prospects. Yeah. So it's uh, it's been a pretty amazing season. All in all, Matt. Uh, again, like I said, I think we had a deep crew of minor league players of the year. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that the one guy we haven't even mentioned, probably the guy who's finishing as strong as any prospect in the minor leagues. We just had him on Daily Dish today, Freddie Freeman. I mean, uh, you got, I know you. Uh, in terms of ranking prospects, you're a, you're a rookie level guy. You like your Appy and your Pioneer League, but you've done uh, IL top 20s before. When's the last time you can remember someone who was 20 having the kind of year Freddie Freeman's having uh, at, at Gwinnett? Uh, Jay Bruce comes to mind because I think that first yeah. year he qualified, but Freeman has a much more advanced approach than Jay Bruce did at the same age. You know, you can see that. I mean, Freeman's in the second half anyway is pretty much one to one walks to strikeouts. It is, and he's uh, he's hitting like uh, and he's slugging six hundred three seventy seven since the since the All Star break. He's in the, in talking with best tool with talking with managers about the best tools. He was he was a candidate for best hitter, best strike zone, and best first defensive first baseman. So managers managers are all over this guy. And the power has really come on for him. I mean, he's slugging 5.22. That's just not easily done in that league. He's the youngest position player in the league. It's, and he's been uh, usually again a younger guy. You would expect to wear down over the course of a year at that level. He looks like he's ready to be Jason Hayward's big man right now. I know you had this question in the chat. If you had been in Frank Wren's position, would you have gone out and traded for Derek Lee like they did? They gave up some interesting arms. Mm-hmm. Or would you have called up Freddie Freeman and tried to go that route? Uh, I th- I think they acted uh, properly or, or with uh, uh, the right amount of 
I don't know. <laughs> I think it was. I, th- I think it was a good properly. move. Yeah, I think it was a good move. I would have, if their lineup were a little different, maybe you could bring up Freddie Freeman if they been if they were as right-handed as say the good guys. Maybe you would have wanted to go with Freddie Freeman. To me, the Braves were already left-handed enough. Yeah. I thought Derek Lee fit. He's just as good, if not better, defensively than Freeman. Uh, he's a uh, he's been a you know, we just did a story last year in our best tools issue about Derek Lee's like the ultimate good defensive first baseman, uh, at least for a right-handed thrower. And we don't know how Freeman is going to play a six-month season or maybe seven months if the Braves go to the World Series. Right. So good point. Yeah, I, when you're that close and it's Bobby Cox's last rodeo. Yeah. If you can go out and get a veteran, you go out and get a veteran who's a little bit more of a presence. You no, know? Now if they just call up Brandon Beachy to pitch the eighth inning, they'll be all set. That would be tremendous. Well, they've got to find someone soon because you know Johnny Venter's arm is about to fall off. So, I mean, it has to happen. This guy, <laughs> he's going to be – he's like the, the he's like a non-Australian left-handed version of Pete Moylan right now. I mean, <laughs> he is going to pitch every day if that's what it takes to, to win the National League East. And when the Braves blow a 10-1 lead or whatever they did yesterday to the, uh, uh, to the Rockies, maybe uh, – that's a sign of what happened with your bullpen. But, uh, you know, other names that got thrown out on this, Jesus Montero got thrown out on this, and that's another guy we should mention who we thought would be in the mix as the year started. He probably, I think he's the highest-ranked guy on our top 100, Matt, who's still in the minor leagues. Um, and he's had a outstanding second uh, second half of the season. Yep. Um, was there anybody else who even got really mentioned? I think we mentioned Aaron Seabee. We mentioned Jerry Sands. I can't think of anyone else who got a whole lot of runs. Well, you know, in context, Jordan Lyles had a huge year, but – I mean, he's 19 and he's in AAA now. Right. But I don't think the numbers are quite loud enough. But I think he's a he's an honorable mention. I think that's a good point. J- Jordan Lyles was a guy who I definitely remember in the first meeting the name at least being brought up a couple times. Um, Paul Goldschmidt, one of uh, another guy with big time numbers. I don't know that we really consider him very strongly, but he's a guy that when I got this spreadsheet, I was like, wow, I didn't realize he was having that monstrous of a season. Um, but it was, it was a it was a better year to choose a minor league player of the year. And uh, J.J. Cooper's working on that feature for us, and we will uh, unveil that next week at BaseballAmerica.com. And, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just like having more choices than fewer choices, and uh, that was a good, that was a benefit this year. There was something else I said that we uh, we were going to get into. Oh, the I.L. The, uh, the AAA playoffs, yeah. AAA yeah. playoffs. Now, I haven't followed the PCO, I have to say. I am, I am more intrigued doing more Durham Bulls games and going to more Durham Bulls games than, uh, than I would have uh, otherwise the fact that I'm getting paid to do them. Um, I'm intrigued by that team continuing to roll on. Plus, they have had prospects all year. They still have Desmond Jennings. Um, obviously, Hellickson's uh, gone. Now in, uh, now a Charlotte Stone Crab, which I wonder how soon it will be next year before the Stone Crabs roll out of Jeremy Hellickson bobblehead for the, <laughs> the one week that he played for them. But uh, I am wondering you – know, you know where where Durham stands. They, they have the best record in AAA. They've had they're tied for the most wins in the minor leagues. But it's like Louisville and Columbus almost, or maybe especially Louisville, as hot as they are, is the other team that really stands in their path of the AAA. And Scranton too. They, they've won. They've Scranton won, is also good. They've won that North Division every year. They've been a Yankees affiliate. Yeah, and, you're right. They've I never had any competition. And the uh, other, you know, to me, what's interesting about this, and a good reason to talk about this, we just talked about this with, at uh, lunch. Uh, I mentioned the Will Lingo. You know, last year's national championship game starters were Jaime Garcia and Jeremy Hellickson. Mm-hmm. That was a game pretty much worth watching in retrospect. When you and have Jennings scored the winning run. Desmond Jennings scored the winning run. Uh, Hellickson, I think, threw five scoreless innings. And Garcia got the start for Memphis and has been really, pr- productivity-wise, the best rookie in the major leagues this year. I don't really think there's a question. I mean, he's got a 166 ERA+. Plus, and he got – did he win second or third place on our best tools for best curveball in the National mm-hmm. League? I mean – 
He's legit. You mm-hmm. know, Jaime Garcia is legit. Um, what stands out, what makes those Louisville and uh, uh, Scranton teams uh, a little bit different than the average AAA bear? Uh, the, the mix of young players. When you look at uh, Louisville, look up the middle. Look who they have. They have Mazzarocco behind the plate. Yeah, legit. Chris Velika and uh, Zach Cozart on the middle infield. I like Zach Cozart. He's a he's a sleeper. He he's is a good he's, sleeper. You know, he has the potential to out hit Paul Yanish, if not outfield him. You yeah, know, he has the potential to be the next the successor at shortstop there. Yeah, no, you're right. They have Yonder Alonso at first, Todd Frazier in left. Travis Frazier finally getting hot in the second half. Yeah, he's had a good second half. Uh, Vladimir Ballantine is on that team. That's a fine veteran to have in the middle of your lineup. 24 home runs leading the team. If they send Travis Wood back down, they have Wood, Matt Maloney. Yeah, Chad Reineke's a nice minor league t- guy. Uh, Sam, Sam LeCure. Sam LeCure, breakout year. And kind Chapman. Of ex- yeah, and that's the thing. Uh, they're going to lose Chapman, obviously, for the IL playoffs, which I'm sure everyone in Columbus will be really upset about. Not in Columbus. Uh, and Louisville will be upset about. But, uh, no, they, they, they have... They're winning with prospects, um, which is the way you, you want to see it done. Scranton also winning with prospects. Again, with Jesus Bontero, they just lost Ivan Nova to the big leagues. They lost Zach McAllister to a trade to the Indians, but it was not like he was really uh, in great shakes. For them. Yeah, he was, he was not having a good year for them this year. They got Hector Noesi up from AA. They do, and he's had an outstanding or just had an outstanding season for them. They just lost Eduardo Nunez, though, up to the big leagues briefly for his first big league call-up. I wonder if he'll be back. In September or not, I would imagine that he will not be. I imagine they lost. Yeah, having him. Nunez and Nova would be huge for the playoffs for them. I don't know. And uh, you know, the other thing with that team is, is they had uh, Jonathan Albaladejo. What was that? An international league record for saves, or was that an yes. all minor league record for saves? International league record for saves. All right. I, I, I'm I've never been a huge Jonathan Albaladejo fan, but I will tip of the cap for 42 saves. Um, and now they have David Phelps up to that level, also. Uh, you know, 2008, 14th round pick, who's really rocketed through the minor league system there. I think Yankee fans are a little bit more interested prospect-wise in their double-A Trenton roster, which right now has Dallin Batances, Manny Benuelos, Adam Warren, and Andrew Brackman. A lot of money, a lot of uh, high draft picks involved there. And then, uh, could, could you foresee Warren going up to AAA for the playoffs? That's possible, but Trenton's also headed for the Eastern League playoffs, so I would anticipate that he'll probably stay there. Since they have Phelps, who was... Uh, a similar kind of player. Warren has a better breaking ball. Uh, but Ivan Nova was kind of another breakout guy there. and He's a guy we both kind of like, a guy who uh, was a Rule 5 guy, didn't stick with the Padres, but uh, we've ranked him in the handbook, I think, four years in a row, whether it was Yankees or Padres, um, in the top 30. And any other prospect with, uh, who's taken a little bit of a while, but that, that helps to make a, help makes for a really good AAA pitcher. Now, the PCL is interesting, uh, Matt, or even more interesting. Well, the one division race there is the one Brandon Belt is involved with because he moves up to Fresno. We're challenging the uh, reign of the Sacramento Rivercats. That's right, Rivercats. For the westernmost division, whatever it's I think they have a five-game series that just started, uh, either started last night in that first game or that's coming up but, starting now. But Fresno is kind of reeling without John Bowker and Joe Martinez now after the oh. trade deadline. And, of course, the early in the year they, were, they had both Buster Posey and Madison Bumgarner. Yeah. Both those guys are gone. Uh, Brock Bond, uh, walk machine, yep. uh, important part of their team. Uh, you know, Jesus Guzman, who was a winter league uh, breakout guy a couple of years ago. Uh, Joe Borchard, ghost of prospects past, uh, has been part of this roster this year. And former Cal State Fullerton Titan, Brett Pill. I'm always a fan of Brett Pill. And his younger brother is a right-hander slash outfielder for the Titans right now. And he'll be a junior next year, so uh, something to watch there. 
I, I love that Eric Hacker is like one of their – he's their stud on the mound for the Fresno Grizzlies. I mean, 155 innings already in the minor league. That tells you that uh, he's kind of like Ryan Jensen, part 2.0 for the Giants <laughs> right now. Um, in Sacramento, they got Chris Carter back. It's kind of weird, again, how a AAA team functions, obviously, because Chris Carter was sent up to the big leagues, and it should have been his promotion, his graduation. But, but he went 0 for 19. Yeah, he failed. He did, like he failed his final back <laughs> down to the minor leagues. 0 for 19 with, what, 12 strikeouts? Is that what it was? It was, it was a lot. <laughs> it was ugly. Um who do you like? Who do, if you're handicapping, you're a triple-A expert. You're handicapping who you think is going to be in Oklahoma City for the national championship, Matt. Who's going to be there? I kind of like Louisville. I've gotten that sense. Your turncoat on, the, on your <laughs> local Bulls. Cause, well, because Durham and Columbus have lost so many players. And Sacramento, or, uh, Scranton, too, if they don't get Nova and Nunez back. Right. Those are significant pieces. And right now, it looks like they're going to keep Nova in the big leagues and Javier Vasquez to the bullpen. Which is startling. Wow. There might be something else going on there. Who knows? So that that doesn't that that's strange credulity, but that's what we've read. Um, but you know, I, I would love to see Sacramento. I just, just I want to see Dallas McPherson play, and you know, just they have interesting retreads. Matt Carson, the guy from BYU, uh, and a lot of college ties there. It's startling to see that team with Michael Taylor hitting 260 with five home runs. That is. That is something I did not expect this year. I thought he'd be better than that. But, you know, the, the Clayton Morton says the John Halamas. John Halama would be fascinating. John Halama helped pitch uh, New Orleans to the first AAA World Series championship way back in the day, like in 1997, 98. I think it was 98 when uh, Lance Berkman also was on that uh, New Orleans team uh, before he got to the big league. So, you know, uh, so you like Louisville in the, uh, in the I.L., as your favorite, who's your PCL favorite? If I'm gonna put you on the spot, and you gotta pick one. I, you know, both the American Conference teams are good, actually. Iowa and Oklahoma City. I think, I think these Midwest teams perform a little better on the, on the road because they're, they're playing the more neutral ballparks. I like that. I like that theory. Uh, yeah. But Oklahoma City lost Michael Kirkman. He's up. That's right. He's up with the Rangers now. They're they're gonna lose Shepherds in all likelihood. Yeah, and, and and he's struggling. Even if they don't lose him, he's really backing up right now. Okay. The, the grind of a full season is getting to Tanner Shepherds. And you have Derek Holland, who's in their rotation. He probably is going to get a, a September call-up. Um, you know, they're in the, they're basically. It's the worst thing to have a big league team in a pennant race if you're a Triple A team because you're going to lose players to that major league club who could help uh, in a pennant race. I mean, Durham has Tampa tied for the best record in baseball and tied with the Yankees. They'd rather win that division, I think. <laughs> and the main thing is, you know, the Red Sox aren't going to go away, so they've got to fend off the Red Sox. Uh, so they're going to do everything they can. You know, Dan Johnson's a bit player with, with Tampa. Um, sometimes he hits four holes. Sometimes he leads off. Sometimes he doesn't play at all. But he is, uh, you know, he's, he's a, he's, he was the best player in the International League this year as a position player. He was the most productive position player in the league this year oh, yeah. um, by a, a pretty decent stretch while he was in the IL. Um, he's not that important to the big league raise, but he is getting some playing time. So he's not coming back. Uh, so... Uh, with all that in mind, uh, is there, is, are the maybe the Iowa Cubs with Ryan Sandberg managing for a chance to succeed Lou Pinella in Chicago? Uh, I think, but you know the problem with the Cubs is the major league team is in complete re- rebuild mode. So they've already called up Darwin Barney and Sam Fold. That's true. There's two up the middle players who the Cubs kind of relied on. Casey, Iowa Cubs. Col- Casey Coleman and Thomas Diamond together with more than 20 starts, both uh, gone from Iowa. They've been bad though for Chicago. They might be back down. Okay. Uh, Samarja. 
Mitch Atkins, he's an Iowa veteran. He knows his way around Des Moines. Jay Jackson, that, that's a good triple A rotation if they get Coleman and Diamond back. It is. It is. It's, and then they might get Brett Jackson if Tennessee's out of the double A playoffs. That would make sense. Uh, Brian LaHare, he knows his way around the PCL. He does. Brad Snyder. Like a hot power, good triple A hitter. I'm, I'm talking myself into Iowa as my PCL. Iowa favorite. against Louisville. Does that get your does that get the juices flowing? That's not going to get me on a plane to Oklahoma City. Last year, I, I, I kind of wish that we'd been there for Jeremy Hellickson versus Jaime Garcia. I think that's going to get me on the plane. Um, we're going to wrap up with a question on our Facebook page sent to us by Zach Mortimer. I love the podcast. Being a Carolina League follower, do they have the most members of any league in the top ten with Lamb, Hosmer, Tehran, Will Myers? Oh, I think in consideration. I would say that, yes, he didn't even mention this Devin Mesoraco, who started the league. He started the season in the Carolina League. Um, it sounds like they did have the most members, which is surprising for an 18-league to have as many guys uh, as considered as they did. But I think they did. I can't think of anybody else who uh, who would match them. Maybe the Eastern League, because Belt passed through the Eastern League. Dominic Brown started in the Eastern League. Um, oh, that might actually be it for the Eastern Leagues. Sit on that, Eastern League. I think it is the Carolina League, though. Uh, so, Zach, uh, we thank you for that question. And we thank everybody for listening to the podcast. Uh, obviously, we'll be back next week with other Baseball America podcasts. So Matt, great to have you back in the podcast room. Uh, I feel like JJ and I have monopolized the podcast a little bit here lately in the but it's good to have you back in here. Yeah, we could talk Appy League in a few weeks. That will be another. That'll be a great podcast because I I love the Appy League and I'm going to get out to Danville. Not Danville. I'm getting out to Burlington before the year ends, if only for the Cheerwine Slushie. Yeah, no, they have the, this weekend. Their last two games, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm a, my son will have a Cheerwine Slushie this year. Right. He hasn't never had a Cheerwine, but he will have a Cheerwine Slushie. All right. So for Matt Eddy, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America podcast, brought to you by MLB Network. Until next time. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.